We encourage you when you get home to check with your local DMV to make sure that this ID is real. We'd love to have you on the tour today, but you will not be participating in the tasting. Well, at least they can go and see everything. Absolutely. Just just like Jimmy John's. The smells are free. Yeah, exactly. Just like Jimmy John's. What's going on, everybody? It is episode 232 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm Kenny, and we've got just a little bit of news to go through. And I think by now, everyone has seen the viral sensation of the girl who made probably the worst old-fashioned of all time. It was originally shot in 2010 by Mahalo.com. It had muddled cherries and oranges, a whole pint of Jim Beam bourbon. I mean, it was bad. But now, Janae Nyberg, the actress on that video, has made a reappearance. The folks over at Jim Beam tracked her down and gave her a shot at redemption. In an Esquire.com article, they talk about how the video started and what she's up to now. Beam gave her a second shot and she nailed it this time, making the perfect old fashioned. You can watch the original and the new video with the link to Esquire.com in our show notes. The Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act is a tax cut for thousands of small distilleries, breweries, and wineries across America, and they take that tax cut to reinvest it back into the distillery to continue to grow it. And it was a steep cut in the federal excise tax on alcoholic beverages. And Congress passed this at the end of 2017 as a part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and it is now set to expire on December 31st, and legislators have until Friday to extend it. If they don't, distilleries will face a 400% tax increase, with the first payment for many due on January 15th. This has the craft beverage producers scrambling with the thought of potential employee layoffs or even worse, but maybe even closing their doors. You can read the article posted by Clay Risen on the New York Times with a link in our show notes. And you can also go to spiritsunited.com to sign a petition and help make a difference today Once again, spiritsunited.com. Heaven Hill is coming out strong with two new releases soon. We talked about Larceny Barrel Proof before, and that will start hitting the shelves in January of 2020 with a price point of $50 SRP. And then you have Old Fitzgerald Fall 2019 released that will be the highest age release of this particular expression at 15 years old. And the suggested retail price on that one is $150. And you've heard it from Rackhouse Whiskey Club in the middle of the podcast, but Bardstown Bourbon Company will be releasing their Prisoner collaboration in 13 states starting in 2020. The Prisoner wine collaboration begins with a nine-year-old Tennessee bourbon that the Bardstown Bourbon Company finished for 18 months in the Prisoner French Oak Red Wine Barrels. The resulting whiskey is bottled at 100 proof, and the collaboration will be available in January 2020 with a suggested retail price of around $125. Now, we've never done a podcast like this before, but we want to highlight everything that's happening in our world of bourbon. Taylor Amerman and Ali Mize come from two different organizations, both focused on growing bourbon both domestically and internationally. Brown Foreman and the Kentucky Distillers Association are balancing the scales by focusing on ways to promote a better drinking culture. That means teaching moderation, being inclusive of those who don't drink, and how more ID checking systems are being put in place at distilleries across the state. It's really some things that I even found out that were new that were happening as well. So you're going to end up finding some, some pretty unique things here. And as we go into this holiday season, please remember, be safe and drink responsibly. All right, let's kick off the podcast. You've got Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Twitter from It's Just Raleigh. It's Just Raleigh asked, state-run systems, North Carolina versus private, Kentucky, Florida, etc. He's basically getting to the question of what is the difference between the state-run systems like uh, where you have state-run liquor control boards or monopolies, if you will, and the private states that allow liquor stores to come in and be privatized and, you know, individuals or corporations can, um, can sell alcohol in a, in a respective package store. And I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm kind of mixed on this because you get really good data about sales and, 
and who's getting what in the control state. So like every year, uh, Pennsylvania, while it is mired with its own problems, they release the, the number of bottles of Pappy and Buffalo Trace antique collection that they get. And that's something that I would love to see broken out from uh, the liquor store side. Now, with that said, they all have these uh, very unique laws. Uh, a lot of them uh, have uh, price control and that they will not mark up uh, whiskey above the SRP. That's something you certainly don't see in the private states, which is why you see something like a uh, uh, Weller 12-year-old or Elmer T. Lee be five $600 when that's far, far above the, the SRP. Now, one thing that I'm starting to hear about control states is that they are cracking down on private barrels. So this is something I'm still looking into. And if you're having some problems with this, you know, please feel free to reach out to me as I, you know, further investigate it. But what's happening is some of these control states are looking at uh, bourbon clubs as competition to their own single barrel programs. And so they're starting to put restrictions and, and rules on clubs that um, you don't see in private states. And I don't think I like that very much. But at the end of the day, uh, the entire system of selling alcohol is beyond broken. I mean, we're still dealing with laws that were established for the most part in the 1930s. You're only just now peeling away, you know, a lot of these uh, blue laws in some states. So for the past decade, the uh, lawmakers in, a lot, in places like Alabama, Texas, and Kentucky have done a very good job of getting, getting rid of a lot of stupid laws. But the fact is, many of them are still there. And it probably won't be in my lifetime, but at some point, we will have a, a more cohesive alcohol system. But again, it won't be in my lifetime. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you want to be like, it's just Raleigh, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram, at Fred Minnick. That's at Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky. And you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to the episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Ken here today riding solo, but talking about a topic that 
we typically would never have thought of. You know, we're all about brands, uh, master distillers, distilling techniques, social, the, the culture of, of, of bourbon and stuff like that. But there is, there is one aspect of it I think that gets overlooked, and that is uh, knowing your limits, knowing when uh, not, not to drive. You got to know these, these types of things of, of making sure that you are being a, a good citizen, a good consumer of, of the brown water at the end of the day. And this was really kind of a, a topic that really kind of came out of, uh, out of the blue for me. I actually had an opportunity to meet one of our guests today at a dinner uh, that was actually sponsored by the University of Kentucky. And then from there, we just started talking. I had no idea that this department, these positions even existed inside of these, uh, these corporations and that even uh, the Kentucky Distillers Association had uh, people that were dedicated to this as well. So it's going to be something that I found super interesting. And, and I think you're going to find it interesting as well, because there's just, there's a lot of things that happen with inside the bourbon world. And a lot of times that we want to make sure that we're promoting the right things. Um, we talk about what we're drinking all the time and, and what we have, if we have like nine pours or something as we're sitting down and trying a bunch of stuff in a lineup, but we need to make sure that we actually have the, the capability and wherewithal to kind of know exactly what we're doing after that. So today on the show, I want to be able to introduce two of our guests. So we have Taylor Amerman. Taylor is the Global Alcohol Responsibility Manager for Brown Foreman Corporation, and Ali Mize, the Director of Social Responsibility for the Kentucky Distillers Association. So ladies, welcome to the show. Thank you. Absolutely. So before we kind of dive into this, I, we kind of want to get understand your backgrounds. Um, kind of like, where did you kind of start coming? I usually start the show talking to people like, where did they, where did they start really get introduced to bourbon? Do you all have a story where you got introduced to bourbon or were you something where you got this kind of role like got you into bourbon? I would say my experience at Brown Foreman got me into bourbon. So I interned for Brown Foreman while I was attending the University of Kentucky my junior and senior year. And that's where I really got to understand Old Forester and Woodford Reserve. Mm -hmm. How about you, Allie? Taylor. Taylor got yeah. me into bourbon. I mean, bourbon has always been a part of my life as a Louisvillian and a Kentuckian, but I had spent some time working in Belgium after college and came back to Louisville and really had never been a legal drinking age adult in this, in this city. And so I met Taylor through some networking and she introduced me to her work at Brown Foreman. And when I went to go get my MBA, she really helped me understand what this field of corporate responsibility was all about. I wrote my capstone with the company um, on the production of bourbon barrel beer in Western Europe, actually and then um, came back, worked at Yum Brands for a little bit on their sustainability team. And when this role opened up, Taylor and her old boss, Rob, really helped champion me into the role. So I have a lot of my bourbon history to thank, or Taylor to thank for that. Yeah, I was about to say, which uh, we, we, we all set the stage as well, is you two are also very, very good friends outside of work. <laughs> we are. Yeah. Yes. They hear like bridesmaids and you know, everything like that that's going on around here too. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. <laughs> yeah. So there might be some collusion involved at the same exact time. Right. It's true. <laughs> so I guess uh, since Taylor, you you kind of had the, the the kind of started the path down here. So what kind of got you into this? And and you know you'd mentioned like interning here. Um, what was that intern position? And then what led that into this sort of full time position as as that internship ended? So in full disclosure, I have an accounting degree for my undergrad, um, but then moved abroad and got my first master's in corporate social responsibility from the University of Nottingham in England, where companies are really focused on broader societal needs, whether it be around the environment or social issues. So after I graduated, I came back to Brown Foreman, um, leading some of our environmental sustainability work, but over the last four years, leading alcohol responsibility and what that means here at Brown Foreman. Mm -hmm. We'll kind of talk a little bit about the environmental thing, because I think that's also like a unique aspect of what happens in regards of bourbon production. Everybody kind of wants to understand like, is there a carbon footprint with bourbon? Is there a, a way we have to worry about sustainability with wood and barrels and cooperages and all that kind of stuff? Kind of talk a little about that background. Absolutely. So that is all housed in our production operations, right? To reduce water, energy um, efficiencies, how, where our grains and come from, the wood that we use, right? But then also how can we tell those stories to consumers and key buyers and retailers that are also interested in environmental sustainability? 
So corporate responsibility as a whole is environment, diversity and inclusion, community relations, and alcohol responsibility. So mm-hmm. that's like who we are as a company. And it's not new. We've been doing this since day one at Brown Foreman, right? We were the first company to have a sealed bottle of whiskey for safety and concern of the consumer. Mm-hmm. And anybody listens to the backstory with uh, with um, Jackie Zykin on our past episodes, we talked about the Old Forester brand and really how that really pioneered a lot of the exactly what you're talking about there. Uh, so Ali, I kind of want to get a little bit of, of your background because you were doing some of this at, at Yum as well in regards of social responsibility. Um, Yum is, people might understand, it's it's KFC and Taco Bell. So kind of talk about uh, how you're making tacos a better place in the world. Yeah, well, we were really helping to transition Yum's shareholder base into longer-term shareholders that really understood the value of social responsibility and environmental sustainability. Because at the time when I was there, they had an activist investor on board and their ratings in the social and environmental spaces were kind of low. And so how could we kind of educate investors about what the company was doing proactively um, to reduce um, waste in their supply chain, to improve human rights concerns in those kinds of things um, and ultimately increase their share price. But what I do for the Kentucky Distillers Association is a little bit different in that my main focus is really around governmental affairs and making sure that our distillers are proactive in their responsible retailing efforts so that we can continue to go to the Kentucky legislature and make asks like for the ability for people to ship their bourbon home when they visit a distillery's visitor center, the ability to enjoy a cocktail when you go to a distillery. I think a lot of people forget that wasn't a privilege before 2016 in the state of Kentucky. So we really proactively use our responsibility efforts on the lobbying and advocacy side as well. Yeah, I mean, we will definitely get into that because I know that I've seen it on the bourbon trail. Now you go in somewhere and uh, there's there's a lot of license scanners that are placed everywhere. So we'll, we'll talk. IntelliCheck. IntelliCheck. Oh, gosh. All right. Now we're, <laughs> let's let's not give away all the secrets. People figure out how to hack it, right? <laughs> no, we won't find about that. But we'll, we'll, we'll hit on that here in a little bit. So, um, you know, I guess, uh, Taylor, I kind of want to kind of come back to you here a little bit, you know, coming to this, um, into this particular role, what were, what were some of the, really the guidelines or what were some of the, the things that were really in the job description about what you're supposed to be promoting at Brown Foreman? Absolutely. So this job was given to me and I was, I was like, what in the world is- So did, out- they, did they like, they made the position for you when you came in kind of thing? So it, we've had this position probably about 15 years um, and I'm the third person to have this type of role mm-hmm. um, specifically. Again, the work has been happening for a longer time, but to have a dedicated resource to this. Um, but we also needed to define what that means. And it's more than pleasing drink responsibly, right? Okay, that's a legal compliance line. So we had to define that. Um, it's in within corporate affairs. So I support all of our brands, all of our markets, and all of our employees around the world. And that's a lot because Brown Foreman is not a small company. It's not a small company, almost 5,000 employees globally. And we believe it has to start with us, right? If our vision is to create a responsible drinking culture, it has to start with our internal culture here at Brown Foreman. So our employees understand what those behaviors and expectations that if they do choose to drink, it is in moderation. But we also respect the choice not to drink here as well. Mm-hmm. 30% of Americans don't drink alcohol. And that is adults, doesn't include the kids. So 30% of adults don't drink alcohol. But again, it's within corporate affairs. So for us, alcohol responsibility is across a variety of topics. So not surprising is preventing underage access and consumption, just like we mentioned with ID scanners, Um, preventing drunk driving, so our partnerships with Lyft and Uber and taxi companies. But a few that make us a bit different are supporting addiction recovery. We do a lot that addresses sexual assault and harassment and respecting the choice not to drink. Wow. Okay, we're going to touch on each one of those a little bit because uh, I'm a big fan of Uber. Um, So we kind of want to start here talking with Allie first because, you know, as you were kind of saying that uh, when we before we started recording here, that Allie's role is sort of like an umbrella across a lot of Kentucky and bourbon and stuff like that. So Allie, kind of kind of give us an idea of like what the job description is and and sort of what you all are doing uh, and putting measures in place to make sure that people are trying to do a lot more socially responsible actions. Sure. Well, I've learned a lot from Taylor and Brown Foreman. And so a lot of my job at the Kentucky Distillers Association is taking best practices from companies like Brown Foreman and Beam Suntry and Diageo that are kind of leading in this space and raise up the 
next generation of micro distillers to have the same practices. And so we're all about collective responsibility. And I think that that comes through in a few different ways. One is establishing best practices so that distillers know practically what it means to embed alcohol responsibility into their day-to-day operations, whether that be manufacturing, marketing, tourism, any of it. And so we have a series of very simple checklists about what things you can do in your ticketing, in your gift shop, in your tour talking points to incorporate those aspects. And then we build data-driven partnerships to kind of bring those best practices to life. So partnering with IntelliCheck's Age ID solution to make sure that um, tour operators have a chance to scan IDs, authenticate that they are real, and prevent underage access to alcohol. And we've caught over 500 fake IDs at distilleries since that program has been implemented. So it's super practical. Or we work a lot with the Mocktail Project to increase non-alcoholic drink menus across the state. And so helping get our distilleries involved in that program, particularly through a campaign we run each October called Mocktober, um, that's really used as a a period after Bourbon Heritage Month when everyone is kind of worn out to say, let's take a week and relax. (laughs) We need to break off. Yeah. And, and learn what options exist in terms of zero-proof cocktails. Um, we work with Better Drinking Culture on an auditing program that holds our distilleries accountable to the best practices. So they, if, if they want an outside consultant kind of figure to come in and really check and say, here are the ones you're upholding. Here's some areas where you're struggling. We have some resources to help you with that. That partnership's in place. Um, and then we work a lot with Lyft and other transportation providers like Mint Julep Tours, R&R Limo, um, to really make sure that people don't make the choice to drink and drive. So um, partnerships. And then I would say the last aspect is really raising awareness of the industry's commitment and actual programming amongst legislators, tourism partners, and the consumers and making sure that we get that story across. So best practices, partnerships awareness raising media campaigns. So let's let's dive into some of these a little bit a little bit deeper here because you, you you talked about some good points and and I actually this is a very recent memory of mine uh going to Four Roses and actually doing a barrel pick they said hey uh we need everybody's IDs and we we're like we didn't do this 6 months ago what, what are you talking about and yeah so Mandy was there she scanned all of her IDs make sure everybody's you know over 21. I guess uh so first off it's Really cool to see that IntelliCheck is working. I think it's very ballsy of somebody that's under 21 to go into a distillery and try to buy a bottle. I mean, you would think that that would be something that we are all under 21 at some point, but you'd you'd think they'd be like, yeah, I'll just go like the corner store, the corner market. I'm not going to go to a a gift shop to go do something like this. Sometimes they just want the experience with their friends, though. If you think about it, they're not always trying to buy the bottle. Sometimes they're trying to get on the tour and have the tasting and have that experience with their friends. So I think that's where we see it more so than Mm -hmm. in the gift shops with bottle purchases. But you're right. It is surprising that there have been over 500 fake IDs caught on the bourbon trail. And I think it's really educated the distilleries in the industry, too, that, hey, this is such a necessary tool. You know, it it started with just a few distilleries adopting it and bringing it to the attention of the group that this was an option and something that we should pursue as an industry. And what we did was really work with three different ID authentication providers to test the state's best fake IDs. So we partnered with Alcohol Beverage Control, got their best fakes, and really checked them on all the different systems. And IntelliCheck every time, hands down, came up as the best system. And so over time, we've had more and more distilleries come on board to the point where there are 28 distilleries across the state using this technology. And it's great because it sends a consistent message, right? It's not um, one distillery doing it over here and then the next place doesn't do it. And all of a sudden someone gets angry that they were asked for it at the other location. It's really about providing a consistent consumer experience along the Kentucky Bourbon Trail and craft tour. And so a lot of other cool things to note are that we have Louisville ABC enforcement officers using the same ID checking technology when they're going to do their spot checks at Louisville retailers, when they're going to your corner liquor store to make sure they're not serving minors and they know that store has an issue, they're showing them the technology that Kentucky distilleries use and recommending that that person adopt it. So that's a really uh, cool case study of where industry has actually influenced government and regulation. Um, and I think we're really excited about it. If you were at Forecastle about two weeks ago, you'd also notice that all of their beer serving stations use IntelliCheck as well. So it's definitely a resource that we promote to our partners across the state. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to see that technology is working in the favor for for this as well. Uh, 
I'm assuming that if somebody does scan a fake ID, they're not like, here, go try again at the next place. They're actually, they're probably, they're probably taking it, right? So it's actually illegal to be in possession of a fake ID in the state of Kentucky, even if you are a distillery confiscating it from a guest. So generally the protocol that we've trained the distillery employees to say is, we've been alerted to a problem with your ID based on our IntelliCheck system. We encourage you when you get home to check with your local DMV to make sure that this ID is real. We'd love to have you on the tour today, but you will not be participating in the tasting. Well, at least they can go and see everything. Absolutely. Just just like Jimmy John's, the smells are free. Yeah, exactly. Just like Jimmy John's. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of want to talk about the IntelliCheck thing a little more because this is something that is, is becoming pretty ubiquitous as you are going down the bourbon trail. Um, and I think this is also something that maybe our listeners want to know is, is it tracking you as you are going to every single distillery? Like, is it say like, oh, sorry, you've done three today. We're capping you there. Like, is there a, is there some sort of tracking mechanism that's involved with it too? Yeah. So that's a really interesting question. Um, I think that we have the capability to add that functionality in the future. Right now, we're just focused on making sure IDs get scanned and that no one underage has access to alcohol. Don't say, Ali is your next big brother here. (laughs) Yeah. The technology does have the ability to store some demographic information, no personal identifying information. So it's not going to store your name, for instance, but it could store that a male who is your age um, from this state visited the distillery on this day and time. And so what that does, especially our craft distilleries, it helps them understand the demographic of their consumers better. And if they know that they had a ton of visitors from the state of Michigan come in in the past few months and they don't have distribution in in that state, that's something that they can talk to their distributor about and really pursue. And so it's, again, not storing that personal identifying information, but it is storing demographic things that can really help our guys on the business side as well. And so all of a sudden you have this responsibility tool that has become a great marketing tool as well. The last thing I'll say about the storing of information besides the fact that this is really an encrypted technology that has passed through the legal teams of Brown Foreman and all the other big companies within our membership is that it does have the capability to do exclusive groups that can be controlled by the managers at the visitor centers. So an example of a group that we have set up that is not currently in use, but could be in the future is banned and intoxicated. So let's talk about the difference between those. Intoxicated means that you would be... um, flagged, your ID would be flagged for 24 hours in the system. And then banned means that you wouldn't, you'd be marked forever um, along the trail. And so we- Blackballed by the KDA. That's that's, that's intense. It's basically, that's what it could become, but it, it is really intended if you're intoxicated and all these distilleries are sharing the same technology. If you go to Evan Williams and you show up and you're highly intoxicated already, they can flag that ID so that when you go down the road to Michter's and your ID is scanned using the same technology, it's going to pop up with a note and say, hey, this person was uh, flagged as being intoxicated, maybe think twice before serving them. So again, the technology is never giving a, a mandate around how to treat that person and their identification. It is helping guide the distillery employee and making smart choices and protecting the consumer, which is what the technology is all about. And I think the last thing I want to add, because I remembered it coming back to your point about Four Roses scanning every ID is that's been the most interesting trend for me to watch is I think the perception in Kentucky is I'm clearly above 21 and how dare you ask for my ID, but we really in the alcohol industry view drinking as a privilege, right? I mean, it it is an honor to be able to go into these distilleries and obtain their product and it can cause impairment. And you go out to a state like Oregon, Portland, Oregon, you go out to distilleries or wineries out there and they do check your ID every time. And so how do we create this mentality shift that says, Alcohol is a privilege, not a right. And when you consume, you need to consume responsibly. Otherwise, that privilege can be taken away Um, Mm -hmm. because that's how society views it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you you also brought up uh, another point right there. You know, if if somebody is flagged and they are going from one place to another, um, are you you ever worried that it, it could create some bad juju that could possibly happen, right? I mean, this, uh, somebody that, that is under the influence they do and they're like, oh, I got a driver. Like, I'm fine. Like, let me through, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, and, and then God forbid, you know, security gets called. Like, does that ever kind of like run through your mind of like what could the potential happen if we do sit there and 
piss a bunch of drunk people off if they're trying to do this. I think I'm more afraid of the potential of what happens if we don't do anything, right? And so um, I think that as we grow in our responsibility efforts as an industry, and I would say Brown Foreman is the most leading at this, but I think more and more distillery employees feel comfortable making that game time decision, knowing that their boss has their back, that intoxication isn't acceptable. And just because you have a safe ride doesn't mean you're a responsible drinker. Like there are limits and you shouldn't show up to a tour and disrupt other people's experiences just because you made the choice to overconsume. And so I feel really confident that IntelliCheck is a tool that empowers our tour guides to make the right choice. But they, of course, are also trained to provide a hospitable experience. And they are never going to publicly admonish someone or make them feel embarrassed. It's all about having the wherewithal on how to deal and intervene in those situations. Hey, can I get you a glass of water before you go on your tour? You look like you've had a long day. Come tell me about your experiences along the trail. You know, how do we equip them with the right tools and skill sets to be able to handle those awkward situations? Mm -hmm. Hopefully it doesn't get too awkward and out of hand. And so I guess um, you also brought up something about mocktails. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, that's something we've we've touched on the podcast before of, of looking at New York Times articles saying like mocktails are the new craze, like the, you know, alcohol free bars, you know. So kind of talk about what the the distilleries and what KDA is trying to do of, of getting into this sort of mocktail category as well. Yeah, I can talk about it overall, but I, I'm really excited for you to talk to Taylor because Brown Foreman has definitely taken the lead on this, including serving the first official mocktail at Derby. So um, you will definitely oh, hear yeah, yeah. a okay, lot. Let's from, hear yeah, that too. we're going to go there. But um, the, the mocktail thing really happened kind of organically, to be totally honest. I mean, we have always held a tremendous respect for the choice not to drink in Kentucky and along the bourbon trail. That's really important that no one feels that pressure when they come to a very bourbon-saturated economy and state, right? Um, But the way that that happened was we were at a local art festival and met a gentleman by the name of Jesse Hawkins, who himself has made the choice not to drink and has been sober for a few years now. And he had started a movement back in 2016 called the Mocktail Project. And when Taylor and I encountered Jesse for the first time, he was still very very grassroots, and which was exciting because we were still figuring out what it looked like to tangibly communicate about this respect um, for the choice not to drink too. And so Jesse really started sharing his story with our distilleries. We gave him a grant to really grow the mocktail project and take these kits to bars and restaurants and say, are you willing to add a mocktail to your menu, put a sticker on your front door that indicates that you have that option available so that people who choose not to drink, whether they are in recovery, or maybe you're just an expecting mom, or maybe you plan to stay out for five hours this Friday night and you just know that you'll be on the floor if you drink bourbon the whole time and you want something to help you pace. There are so many reasons, but that sticker and that emblem would help people identify the establishments that cared about protecting their health. And so he's really grown that. And over time, we've seen more distilleries get involved and take it their own direction, like Brown Foreman. And I think the one month, like I said earlier, that we all get involved is Mocktober. And that is generally the second or third week in October where all the distilleries come together, serve these amazing zero-proof mocktails. We hold a lot of cool events. This year, we're going to have a Sans alcohol pop-up bar at uh, Butchertown Groceries Lola at Ostra, some really cool restaurants and mixology involved. And we're also taking it a step further on the addiction recovery side too. So this year, the official mocktails, one will be named after Jesse, but one will be named after a woman at Volunteers of America's Mid-States Freedom House program. And so um, every one Wednesday a month, every month, uh, Volunteers of America brings in local chefs for a chop and chat at their Freedom House Recovery Center for women who may be expecting children during the recovery process. And they teach them healthy cooking, healthy living skills. Well, what about healthy drinking skills? After you get out of recovery, you're still gonna be in social settings like parties where alcohol may be present. And so this year we thought it was really important to teach them how to mix their own mocktails for those party situations. So Ostra is gonna be going in with the mocktail project, teaching these women how to make mocktails and they're gonna make their own in the winning recipe will be named after the woman and it will be the one we promote during the Mocktober campaign so that there's a more human element to why we serve mocktails at the distilleries and in bars and restaurants. Because I think that's what we miss. I mean, everyone knows what a mocktail is, but I think the more impactful thing is why 
it's important to include it and why we need to be thoughtful about how we make people feel included, right? We talk about diversity and inclusion in all sorts of industries all the time. What does diversity and inclusion look like in the bourbon industry from all aspects, not just black, white, male, female, but our drinking habits too. I got you. Yeah, that's good. And by the way, I love Ostra. It's one of my favorite restaurants oh, here in town. Yeah, go to. I love the churros for dessert. We'll talk about that afterwards. <laughs> so but good. so Taylor, I know we, me and Allie, we've been going. Allie's, Allie's hogged a lot of the airtime. No, here, I love so. it. She's killing it. <laughs> so so kind of talk about really what Brown Foreman's doing in this this mocktail category. Absolutely. So you know, we are deeply committed to it. We have employees who choose not to drink. We have board members. We have consumers and business partners that choose not to drink for a variety of reasons. In addition, health and wellness trends right now. And it is invisible. You may not be able to tell that. So we talk about little things. Don't ask why someone's choosing not to drink, right? It should be an invitation I can offer you, but it shouldn't be an expectation to be part of the social setting. It If you are choosing not to drink, you still want to go learn about the history of bourbon. You still want to enjoy our amazing restaurants that we have here in town. So everyone should be welcome for that. Um, We started an employee resource group. So just like other dimensions of diversity. And ours is called Spirit, and it is to respect the choice not to drink, to raise awareness. You know, we have a cafe here on campus, and before Spirit, they would cook with alcohol in the food, in the desserts, but it may not be clearly labeled. And if I accidentally have some cake with bourbon, okay, that's a, you know, not a big deal. But if someone in recovery does, that is a really big deal when they weren't expecting that, and that can be harmful to them. So just raising awareness, what are those issues that we we can change and make a difference. And again, welcome them to Brown Foreman as employees and guests. To talk about what you were doing during Derby. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. To talk about what you were doing during Derby, yeah, because right? I think I think that's something that's interesting because it's I think uh, as Ali had said, this is the the first year that you all had actually done a a mocktail project for Derby, which anybody I don't think it goes without saying like Derby is exactly that it's it's the mint juleps, it's the lilies, it's it's the whole experience and. Most of the time, yes, it does involve liquor, right? But kind of talk about what you all are doing. Yeah, so we are proud to be the official bourbon of the Kentucky Derby with Woodford Reserve and Old Forester. And that's wonderful to have those products there. And it's a Kentucky moment for all Kentuckians. But if you are one of those 30% who choose not to drink, you also want something in your hand that is more than a Diet Coke or a bottle of water, right? So how can we provide an elevated experience that everyone can cheers during my old Kentucky home? So this year we worked with Churchill Downs and Jesse that Ali mentioned with the mocktail project to serve the first official Kentucky Derby mocktail. So Jesse was on site serving that. What did it consist of? Do you remember? Yeah, I think it was lemonade and cranberry. Yeah. 
Well, that's, that's great. That's that's a pretty easy ratio. I mean, because I've seen, you know, when they talk about these mocktail bars, you're, you're talking like drinks of upwards of like eight, ten, twelve dollars for stuff, and there's there's no spirit in it. So it's like they must they hope they're like fresh pressing carrots back there or something to make this really like go into it. Well, we do talk about it's high margin for accounts, and that should be another reason that they have them on their menu. So not only for um, being inclusive and show their values, but it's good for business as well. Oh, see, there you go. We know that. <laughs> and Taylor's being modest in that Brown yeah, Foreman Taylor, quit being so modest. I know, you need to talk more. I'm going to talk for you. <laughs> they send Jesse all over the place to all these different industry events like Whiskey Fest and all these things that where he's really influencing trends because he's in, involved in industry conversations with the Brown Foreman backing. And so you should feel, I mean, yeah. that's a big deal that you have Whiskey Fest with the Mocktail Project. I mean, Let's talk about that. Totally. So the four that were around the country, Jesse went and served mocktails. So many people came up to him just to take a break. They might have been pregnant. And it was such a relief because, frankly, we find that a lot of non-drinkers won't show up, right? I don't even want to go there. I'm not going to be there. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to get asked why a hundred times I'm not going. So he provides a safe alternative that looks beautiful. It's in the same glassware that everyone else does and just helps them fit in. Um, we also had him at Forecastle with Old Forester. I should have mentioned, of course, with Derby, that drink was in partnership with Jackie Zycan of Old Forester. And so they promoted it together. We've had him at Taste of Derby. My goodness, we are doing a big partnership with him in New Hampshire this year as well um, with the New Hampshire Liquor Commission. So he is great. He helps put a real authentic voice behind this to explain why. But it's that mocktails and cocktails can coexist. It shouldn't be either or, or you're cool or you're not cool. We're all enjoying it. We're all spending time together and connecting. Yeah, I think the, the one thing that I'm, I'm really kind of taking away from this, and, and Allie kind of said it best, is that this isn't supposed to be like a line in the sand, right? It's not supposed to divide people and say like, hey, like, you're over there, we're over here, we don't need to talk to each other, right? And that it's it's more of a why thing if, if, if you want to try to, party all day and night and you, you know, you're not going to be able to, right? It's just, it's impossible sometimes. And especially when you're trying to do bourbon for that time, it's just impossible. And so you can look at some of these as, as an alternative to like, you know, you don't have to sit there and, and be miserable if you don't want to try to do that. Right. You've got to learn to be able to know your limits. And this is something that, you know, it's could be a refresher at the end of it too. Right. I mean, I love smoothies, right? I'm sure. I'm sure it's it's got some kind of uh, similarity to the tastes and fruit notes and everything like that, along with it as well. Yeah, I have a few thoughts on that. I mean, one is that we hear industry employees say that all the time, like, "Oh, I've had four work events every night this week." You know, I'm I'm so excited that there is an option where I can still look like I'm participating and engaging and slow down. But one of the nuances that I've learned from Taylor is that recovery is something to be celebrated. And it's hard to feel celebrated. It's not It's not something to be like, oh, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Or, oh gosh, how hard. It's no, congratulations on your sobriety. And I think that's something that we forget. And it's hard to celebrate if you don't have awesome drink options, right? Like, congratulations, we're so glad you're here. Here's your soda water. Like, that's not a good way to help celebrate. And so I think that's an important nuance to discuss too. There was one other thing I was going to say, but you all just have me going. I forget my last thought was. <laughs> well, events are so important, right? Yeah. Um, so always we have a responsible event checklist that we promote for Brown Foreman events. You do for KDA events. What's on the checklist? Okay. Let's, give me, let's go some, let's start checking these off. Check IDs, right? We'll go with that one. Providing free water and hopefully it's infused and something nice. Um, like cucumbers or like yes. lemons or something. I gotcha. It's like, I feel like I'm in like a hotel lobby yes. area sort of area. Um, Sometimes it goes so, so fast. That's what you have to continue to refill throughout the night. Non-alcoholic beverages, having a point person um, that you know who to go to should there be an issue that arises. Like an accountability buddy? Is it like, uh, or is it like- uh, like, like who's the like, manager? Or like there's, the there's Gary in the corner. I'm going to go talk to him. Like what is, what's a point person? So should there be an issue or an incident of overconsumption, who do you go to? Is that the manager? Is it the bouncer? Who's the person in charge that you don't have to try to figure that out in the middle of a situation, you already have a game plan. And then it's so offering some kind of safe ride option. And we can certainly talk about partnerships with Lyft and Uber. But just to add to 
At the end of the day, we want everyone who encounters one of our brands to have a positive experience. We never want them to have so much that they never want to drink it, smell it, or buy it again. You know, we found that one of the top three reasons people do not drink whiskey is because they've had that negative experience. It just, it sounds like it's uh, most of the time of what we do, we talk, remember when I talked at the beginning of the show, like, tell me about your first experience with bourbon. I would say 50% of the time when we interview guests, that's the first experience. It was a bottle of Jack or it was whatever it was. And they were on the, they were on the floor for hours. Right. And, and I think that what you're bringing here is, is, is a relatively good perception of it, of what you actually should be doing. Right. And that you, you don't want to sit there and say, oh yeah, I'm not going to, I don't always want to bring this bad memory back. Right. Let's, let's try to make a, a positive Correct. engagement out of it. Yeah. We don't want any harms to ever happen from alcohol. Right. And so how can, what can we do to prevent, to educate, to provide those options, but we still need consumers to make those right choices as well. But we're not anti-sales, right? We're in the industry. We want to promote these products as being well-crafted, something to sip, to enjoy, to savor it, not to just escape. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you also bring up a pretty good point of being able to give our listeners this sort of background where they might have significant others that don't share their same passion, right? If they're listening right. to this, they are the the one percenters of bourbon, right? They're yeah. the, they're the bourbon nerds that are. Thank out you. There. We appreciate it. Yeah, and so and they're and now that if they're significant other, they don't have to feel so bad, right? You all are actually trying to create uh, a different kind of culture that's just not all whiskey, right? That it's 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 beyond that. Yeah. So should we talk about kids for a second? Because sure. the number one factor of kids drinking behavior is parents, right? They're seeing how you talk about it, how you enjoy it. They are watching, right? So that's the number one. In addition, the earlier someone tries, the more likely they are to become addicted. So having that conversation early and often with your kids is so important. So of course, in middle school and high school, it is talking about alcohol directly. But even younger, you want to build those resiliency factors in your kids, getting them to um, focus on protective factors, not risk factors that might be within their family. But acknowledging it and talking about it is so critically important. I think that brings up, uh, kind of almost hits home a little bit for me. Um, most of our listeners, of course, are they, a lot of them probably have kids and they see the, the upteen, the hundreds of bottles that we all have. And, and my daughter plays a joke with me. Um, you know, people would say like, oh, look behind you, there's Elvis. And you turn around. My little girl goes, oh, look behind you, there's bourbon. And she does that as like mm-hmm. a joke with me, right? And now that you're, you're saying this, I'm kind of like, yeah, I should probably start having that conversation with her. She's five. But to make sure that she understands that like, this is this is not for you yet, right? One day, but... And also make sure you stay away from all my expensive bottles, the other part. But, but I mean, in a, in a more serious note, it, it is something that you, you do need to be conscious of as a parent and making sure that you are setting the, the right example. Too. Correct. Even if it comes to cookies. Okay. You have one or two cookies. You don't need five or six cookies, right? We're just thinking that way, talking about moderation and health and wellness. Explaining why it's important mm-hmm. that she stay away from it. Not just that this isn't for you. This can harm your brain. If you consume it before the age of 21, you're still developing. This is really important that you know that. Or when is the appropriate time when your child does become of age to engage you'll notice this isn't something mommy and daddy do to cope with problems. This is something that we enjoy, we respect as a craft, and we use it in our celebratory moments. So even having that conversation when they are getting toward drinking age of when when to engage with alcohol in the appropriate way, because I think a lot of people in our society use alcohol as a coping mechanism, and mm-hmm. that's definitely not the best way to see it enjoyed. And so while we're on the the kids category as well, I I know that at least being in the industry myself and knowing when you're doing marketing and doing all these things and buying promotional products, like it can't be anything that's related to anything that would be child's play whatsoever. So kind of talk about more about really what that is and like how do you promote social responsibility when it comes to, to marketing in that aspect? 
So first there are industry standards, right? Through DISCUS mm-hmm. that we are all compliant of and then exceed in many ways. And in fact, it's important to know that that doesn't just apply to DISCUS members. Even non-DISCUS members can have complaints filed against them should they not abide by one of those rules. So we can probably just give a few examples, but one is over 70% of the audience in where we are marketing needs to be over legal drinking age. At Brown Foreman, we regularly exceed that 80, 90% of markets. So whether or not that's on podcasts or digital, um, Facebook, social media, commercials, that's important to us. But I know Allie deals a lot with point of sale. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, making sure that you aren't using models that are above or under 25 years old to just ensure that there is no mistake that any models in your marketing activities look like minors. Or Um, influencers. Or influencers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Making sure that you have appropriate age gates um, on all of your digital materials, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all of that. This is an interesting one too making sure that you are not doing things um, that are attractive to minors. And that's where these marketing codes start to get really interesting. So I'm thinking like cartoons, right? Right? How how many times have we seen like the Louisville mashers uh, on the Louisville bats, right? These cartoon kind of figures that depict bourbon and are intended for legal drinking age adults, but may appeal to minors. Or the thing I'm seeing on all the influencers accounts now are the Capri Sun bags where you drink your cocktail out of the Capri Sun bag, right? And and who's to say whether that's right or wrong, but it is a, a fine line. And so the great part about trade associations and approaching alcohol responsibility collection collectively is that we provide a forum for our members to come together and discuss these things openly or not openly. Sometimes we have had members come to us in the past and be like, I have a real problem with the ad that our colleague X put out. Can you go have a conversation with them and kind of get some background? I don't think it's appropriate for me as an industry competitor to have that conversation, but I'd really like it made known to them that we didn't really love that ad and think it could be noticed negatively by a legislator or an industry official. It reminds me of, um, and I think it was over a year or two now, there used to be an Instagram account called Scotch Trooper. And what he would do is he would actually utilize Stormtrooper figurines in pictures with Scotch. And I mean, he had, it was crazy. He had like almost a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. It was huge. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, lawsuits and everything kind of came crashing down on them. It, it wasn't from, uh, you know, George Lucas or anything. It was actually from the spirits industry, right? Um, so he lost all of his sponsorships. He lost everything uh, from that that point. So it was, it was something that it's tough. That's a tough realization, right? Because I mean, it is toy figurines. However, how was it actually presented as like, oh, this is like child's play? It, here or there, right? Um, however, this is, you also had mentioned something. So anybody that's out there that doesn't know, uh, so Discus is an organization, you can Google it, D-I-S-C-U-S. Uh, they've got all the rules and regulations on what it is to actually be, uh, I guess, marketing responsibly and stuff like that. I remember we had to go through it um, just for the podcast to be able to make sure that we were complying with a lot of the regulations of, as you said, adding the age gate to the website, making sure that we do a, uh, basically a survey of our audience and making sure that I, what is it like, we have to be like 79.8% positive that everybody listening is Do over. Do you know t- where that number comes from? I, I, Taylor said it correctly. It's 70.6, but it's 70.6. Okay. That, that's the percentage of the U S population statistically that's considered to be a legal drinking age adult, according to the U S census. So that number isn't arbitrary. It, it's designed to reflect the adult population in the U S which is cool to know. So it's larger than the sample size, right? That's the, it is the population of the U.S. So yeah, see, that was one thing I remember going through and doing that to make sure that we had all of our ducks in a row when we were trying to find the right people and stuff like that to make sure that we comply with all the guidelines that are that are set out there. So it is good to see that um, we've actually, That's thank awesome. you. Yeah. I mean, we've actually encouraged other bloggers and stuff that follow along with us. They, they started adding age gates. They started doing that because they're That's like, awesome. why do you have that? I'm like, 
here, go read the PDF. It's long. Start start now. Correct. Yeah. But bourbon lovers should care about that because it protects the industry that they love from overregulation. So if you want good access to bourbon, you should be the biggest responsibility advocate out there because the minute the industry starts to misbehave is the minute that regulators start to take away some of the privileges that bourbon lovers so much enjoy when they come to Kentucky. Yeah, I was about to think of, because you, you're starting to jog my memory again about the, the four roses, the barrel pick and stuff like that. And, and really, if, if, if that system is not in place and something bad does happen, it could potentially change exactly what bourbon lovers, what we enjoy, what we got, we get to go do in barrel picks that like, yeah, it's not gonna be the same experience anymore. Like some, like some things will change. Right. And so everything that's being implemented is being done with a, a very specific purpose to actually help the broader community maybe at first it might seem like, ah, oh, the man's coming down on us, but it's not supposed to be like that. You know? Responsibility is a part of all our conversations with legislators when we're seeking new privileges. And they've given us a ton in recent years. So back in 2014, they passed the bourbon barrel reinvestment credit, which essentially eliminated the bourbon barrel tax and gave it back to distillers as a credit to reinvest in their tourism experiences and their communities through alcohol responsibility. In 2015, they passed Senate Bill 11, which allowed the buy the drink sales at the distilleries because they knew we could be responsible retailers. That was a huge shift. You're allowing a manufacturer of a product to all of a sudden become a retailer of a product. And that bl blurs those lines. And so they felt confident that distilleries could operate as responsible retailers to allow guests to enjoy those cocktails. The next year, they gave us the privilege to start serving spirits at fairs and festivals, which was a big one. They also strengthened the definition of Kentucky bourbon whiskey to include liquid that was fermented, distilled, and aged in Kentucky, not just aged, which changed the game for contract distilling mm -hmm. in Kentucky, which is where we saw Bardstown Bourbon Company come in the next year. Gosh, we saw spirits shipping, which is something we're working on still, which is a huge concern when it comes to allowing alcohol to get in the hands of minors. Shipping is a big part of the discussion. And then last year, we actually took our lobbying efforts and used them for social good by helping work on Senate Bill 85, which strengthened Kentucky's DUI laws for the first time in decades, including its ignition interlock program, which helps connect DUI offenders to monitoring and treatment resources that they need so that they won't just be punished legally, but they'll also connect with resources if they do have a drinking problem. So what's next on like the, the lobbying table for, for you all? Like what, are, what are you trying to, I mean, I know shipping is a big one, right? Uh, we talk about shipping, shipping. and e-commerce. Yeah. We talk about that all the time because we see that as kind of like the next generation of where this is all going to go. E-commerce is definitely where we're going. And that's a huge responsibility that our distillers do not take lightly. We're very excited about the opportunity, but there is a lot of details to work out. And to be totally transparent, IntelliCheck has been a big part of that conversation in our conversations with UPS and IMX databases and all these things of how do we embed ID checking in, into those shipping conversations to make sure that not just the person ordering it is of a the person receiving it is of age because there's all these nuances that we don't think about if you send alcohol to an apartment building where someone's at the front desk receiving packages but maybe the person who would get it upstairs is you know not of age or an office building um, all, all these things that you don't necessarily think about but are really important to address mm. before you ask for that privilege a lot of variables there a lot of variables there. But we want to do it the right way, right? Everyone does. UPS wants to do it correctly. Us as the retailer wants to do it. Um, and so but how can we work together and collaborate? And I, I hope you've seen today that it's not just an old Forrester or Woodford issue. It is an industry. And so how can we as um, an industry come together for collective impact to address some of these big topics? Mm -hmm. you, we talked about Uber and Lyft. We want to talk about that too. So okay. let's talk about ride sharing because that was, uh, we see it all the time. It'll come up in the app. Uh, there's promotional things that come out when it's uh, bourbon fest time or anything like that. And they'll say, hey, $50 off your sign up or whatever it is. So kind of talk about what kind of uh, relationships you all are building there. 
So first, it starts with us. So we have a policy that employees can have a safe ride at any time, personal or from a work event, should they need it. But that is never a green light to overconsume. So it's always that moderation is expected if they choose to drink, but we want them to have access and they can use Uber, Lyft, taxis, whatever's most convenient and economical for them. But then we also provide discount codes at our events. So you all can do this too. It's uber.com slash events, and you can create it, whether or not you're hosting a holiday party, a New Year's Eve party, um, uh, St. Patrick's Day, whatever it might be, you can create safe rides for your guests. I didn't know that. Yes. There you go. And then Allie has a great, huge partnership with Lyft. Yeah, we've really loved working with Lyft specifically. We have found them to be a very engaging partner. Our values align with them, and they've invested a lot in the state of Kentucky. So it started along the rural communities in Kentucky Bourbon Trail. So when we were first looking at preventing impaired driving, we looked at the resources that were available to people who were going to Bardstown, let's say, or um, Versailles out in Woodford. And we realized that we were telling people not to drink and drive, but there wasn't great access to That's ride true. alternatives and, in those in communities. Bards, in Bardstown, like there's like two taxis, something yeah. like that. And the reality is that 70% of people who come to visit the Kentucky Bourbon Trail are coming from out of state, meaning that they're not familiar with local resources. They're familiar with national resources like Uber and Lyft. And so we knew we had to partner with one of them. And so we approached both. We ended up working with Lyft and we basically convinced them to unlock their technology across the entire state of Kentucky. Kentucky because of the economic developed presence of distilleries, because they don't want to unlock their technology in communities where there may not be enough drivers or demand because they don't want people to have that negative experience of not being able to get a ride or signing up to be a driver and never getting any requests. And so we said, look, we draw a lot of people to these rural communities and we think that there could be a cause to have your service. And so we made an agreement, they unlocked the technology and we started hosting breakfasts at some of the rural distilleries, including including Woodford Reserve and Heaven Hill, O.Z. Tyler, Jepta Creed, basically put invitations to these distillery breakfasts in the local papers on Indeed.com, all these really grassroots things, and invited the community to come learn what Lyft was, because a lot of them had no clue, um, understand how you could sign up to drive and earn extra money outside of your other day job, so how it could be an economic development tool, and most importantly, what impaired driving statistics looked like in your specific community and how having that resource in your community would help. And so we really tried to shine a lot of light on it. We did recruit about... 25 to 50 drivers in each place, it's still a growing and organic effort. However, I will tell you we've seen success, particularly in Owensboro. Um, it's really picked up in Owensboro, and you can now get an on-demand really ride really easily there. And that was in large part thanks to OZ Tyler's leadership in that community coming on board. Um, we did see it work at Kentucky Bourbon Festival the first year after we held those breakfasts. We actually brought in um, some highway safety partners from Lyft and the National Sheriff's Association, and they took a lift out to Bardstown, and we were so nervous because we were like, oh, uh -oh. no, they, they got there, but are they going to get a ride home when they order it? And they had scheduled it in advance, and the woman that picked them up was one of the women that had attended one of the distillery breakfasts at Heaven Hill. And it was just such a cool story to see that, that it did make a difference, that someone was able to get a safe ride home back to Louisville from Bardstown. But beyond that, we've really grown the partnership um, in a variety of ways, the most visible one being a coalition called Safe Ride Kentucky that Brown Foreman actually started um, with um, I think it was Uber and City Scoot at the time. And they said, you know what? We would really love to give this to the KDA to grow as an industry effort. And we think we can do more if everyone invests. And so the KDA took it over and we started inviting other community partners to come on board and donate. And now we give away uh, $10,000 to $20,000 in free safe rides on five key holidays whenever the Kentucky Office of Highway Safety runs its drive sober or get pulled over program. So that's going to be St. Patrick's Day, 4th of July, Labor Day, the night before Thanksgiving, and then um, the two weeks between Christmas and New Year's Eve. But um, Lyft traditionally has um, basically given us an investment match. So whenever we put in 10,000, they've put in 10,000 in free rides, which has been huge for the state of Kentucky to have a national resource like that invest in our communities. But it's also another example where the Kentucky Office of Highway Safety gives the KDA a $10,000 grant every year to execute that 
program along with AAA, the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers. Um, and there's one other one that I am forgetting. So I hope they don't get mad at me. Huh? Beer? Yeah, the beer guys have helped out a little bit. Um, but it's just been awesome to watch government uh, support industry efforts and be like, you know what? You all are actually doing it the right way. We want to get involved. And together, we've given about 8,000 free rides over the span of nine campaigns. We've attracted 500 new users to the Lyft platform here in the state of Kentucky. So people who didn't have the app on their phone before, but now have it in case they want to order a free ride. And I think that is making a difference. I hope it's making a difference in, in the way people think about planning a ride. And I know it's made a difference in the way the Office of Highway Safety approaches their impaired driving prevention efforts because before they were just saying, don't drink and drive, and they weren't really thinking about- what What's an alternative? Yeah, what's options. an alternative? What do you do? What do you want me to do? And so Just now, stay home all the yeah. time? Yeah. So now they're thinking about how do we embed accessibility to alternative transportation options into our state's plans, which is a huge shift. It is huge. I mean, there's, we, we go on our, our barrel selections. We go to Bartown a lot and we have a lot of people that come in from out of town. And that's always a question. They're, they're like, uh, should I take a, a ride share? And we always say the same thing. Like, yeah, you can get out there. I don't know how you're going to get back. Yeah. And and so we always try to figure out how we can carpool and whatnot and sort of stuff like that. But it's it's good to, to kind of know that this is the impact that you're all having and that this is something that I can now use that as a resource and say, yeah, you can try. I think I think it's 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 growing and make sure you schedule it ahead of time, right? And and you can probably get a ride and it's I think probably pretty good, reasonable prices. I mean, a trip to from Bardstown back to Lowell might be like 30 or 40 bucks, but hey, it's better than trying to drive yourself. That's for sure plan ahead is what we want everyone to do before you start going out or do your event or go to a distillery, know your plan. Mm -hmm. So Ali and, and Taylor, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was a pleasure to really kind of understand exactly what it is uh, that you all are trying to do. And I, I guess I'm going to give you opportunity to do like, just like one thing top of mind, like what do you want our listeners to leave with? Taylor, I'll let you go okay, first. Okay, it's great. So our new campaign within Brown Foreman is called POS. We just want people to be mindful and intentional when they choose to drink. So pause before you grab your car keys. Should I drive or should I take a safe ride? Pause before you order another drink. Pause and have some water to have some food. Pause about access. Are there underage folks who are in this room? Just be aware. So I hope you all can take that away to know that it's not a no. It's not less than. It's to create that positive experience with bourbon. Perfect. Allie? And as you see from the cover page of our new responsibility report behind us, it's all about crafting a better drinking culture and having a conversation about what that means. And so there is no right or wrong answer necessarily. It is about talking about the vulnerable and awkward situations that sometimes come up um, when you're drinking and working through that together so that you have the most awesome time possible when you're enjoying your good Kentucky bourbon. So I think um, our ask to people is just to have that conversation about what it means to you. What does alcohol responsibility mean? I love ending on a slogan. It's the best way to do it. So uh, thank you both once again for coming on the show. It was it was really good, I think, for us to kind of really see the, the other side of this, right? We, we talk about the drinking culture all the time, but we don't talk about the other side of it, right? We don't talk about the awareness side too much. We don't talk about uh, promoting the, the healthier, the sustainable side of it. So understanding what you all do as, as your, your full-time roles it it plays a huge impact on on probably the stuff that most people don't even see or take for granted. It's kind of like it's kind of like the the hidden the hidden jewel or the hidden gem behind it. But there's there's so much that's going on, and you know I can't thank you all enough for what you are doing to help, you know positively impact the industry in regards of making sure that people are having a a safe and healthy drinking culture too. So uh, if anybody wants to learn more about the programs that you all have, uh, is there websites or something that they can go and, and find out more about it? kybourbontrail.com slash responsibility. And ours would be brownforman.com slash responsibility. There you go. Can't be too hard to remember there. <laughs> yeah. So make sure you go, you check those out. You can follow uh, Bourbon Pursuit on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. If you want to even be a bigger part of this, you can help support us, patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit. And if you have any other show suggestions, things you want to hear, uh, other kind of crazy topics. This was a topic that, again, I met Taylor at a, at a dinner and we just started talking and it just kind of led to this. So it was perfect. But if you have ideas, send us an email, team at bourbonpursuit.com. With that, we will see everybody next week. <laughs>